Father, we have seen your grace and your mercy, not only in Tracy's life, not only in her her children's life, uh, but in our life. We have seen your great grace, your mercy poured out for us. And Father, you give us in your word instructions on how to live in light of your great grace and mercy. How to live the new life by the resurrection power of Jesus that you call us to live. Father, our world, as we look around it, at it, is broken. Uh-huh. And everybody's sinfulness is on obvious display. Including our own. And Father, we pray that you would grant us forgiveness. Grant us uh, the ability, Father, to, to hear and to, and to see the beauty of your word, to take delight in it, and to take delight in obeying it, knowing that your words are light and they are life. Uh, and that by your Holy Spirit, you enable us to live in a different way than we ever have before, than we ever could, apart from you. Uh, Father, as we study today, help us to, to delight in your word and to allow it to dwell richly in our hearts. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I am excited, beyond excited, for the opportunity to worship with you live and in person next week, as well as uh, on an ongoing way digitally as we are this week and, uh, and uh, all the weeks to come uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking again at Colossians chapter 3 and seeing what it looks like to live life as a Christian. Now, Christian faith is not simply... Uh, a matter of profession. It's not simply about doctrines that we affirm or beliefs that we accept. It's about living a life like Jesus. It's about living a life where you look like, live like, talk like, think like Jesus. And uh, in Colossians chapter 3, you're going to see, as you look at it, a tremendous description uh, this whole chapter, and actually the, this, this whole second half of the book, chapter 3 and chapter 4, talk about how to live like Jesus. And that's our goal as uh, God's people, is to live like Jesus and to, uh, to seek the things that are above and set our minds on them and pursue them with all of our heart, with all of our life, for all of our days. And so I want to invite you to turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3, picking up verse 12. We're going to go down through uh, verse 17 today and look at these verses. So if, you, if you'd open your Bible there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, just leave a comment on this video uh, and, uh, or send me a uh, private message via Facebook, and I will be happy to personally send you a Bible. Uh, we have a stack of them here at the church, and we don't want anybody to be without God's Word. So, beginning verse 12, chapter 3 of Colossians, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you 
so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, if, if you notice something here in verse 12, you need to notice this. How you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, how you are addressed. Do you see it there in verse 12? God's chosen ones holy and beloved. Now, these, these terms, chosen, holy, beloved, these are all terms that are applied to God's people throughout the Old Testament, and here they're applied to us as the people of God in the New Testament. And all of us, in other words, as both, it's not just Jewish people as the majority of the people of God in the Old Testament were. Uh, after Abraham, everybody in order to come to God and into relationship with Him had to come through the covenant that God made with Israel. Uh, prior to that, there are a number of Gentiles that are also part of the people of God. But, but largely, as you look at your Old Testament, it's an Israelite-focused thing and you need to become a Jew in order to become a worshiper of the true God. But here in the New Testament, in the era that we live in since the coming of Jesus, all people, you don't have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. All people, Jews and Gentiles, are on equal footing. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no barbarian or Scythian or slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Whatever categories people might be divided into, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level and all of us are part of the people of God. And we are all regarded, uh, first of all, as chosen ones. Now let me be clear about what that means. It is not... The Bible's idea is never that God looks down through history and sees the people who will, will be good people, sees the ones that, who will believe in Him, and then He says, huh, I'll ratify that choice and bring them into my family. No, that's not, that's not the picture the Bible gives. The picture the Bible gives is of God looking at rebels and sinners and choosing rebels and sinners and the people who rejected Him and ran away from Him and who were wicked and wanted nothing to do with Him and saving them and bringing them into His family. In other words, it is not uh, as if God picked out the ones He thought would be good and useful for His purposes. It's that God picked out the wicked ones and made them good and useful for His purposes. Without Him, we would have remained just as we were. And more than that, we are holy and 
beloved. He chose us to be holy, to be separated from sin and its consequence of death. And we are also beloved. We are the beloved of God. The people whom God loves. God doesn't save us uh, like some distant, benevolent philanthropist uh, who uh, sets up an orphanage to care for people, but he personally never visits. He just kind of loves them from a distance. He doesn't get into the mess of their lives and the complications of, of their life. No, what he does, it's more like this. It's more like instead of setting up an orphanage, he goes and he takes us from being a bunch of street kids running wild and brings us into his home. So that he can be with us and that we can experience how much he loves us as members of his family. That he becomes our daddy and we're brought home. The second thing you should notice is the command that's here. Last week we looked at all of the sins of the body and the heart and the mouth that we're to put to death. Remember? I said you're to take them out in the yard and shoot them down like Old Yeller at the end of the movie, right? These things are to be, are to be put to death. But the flip side of that is that there are things that you are to give life to, things that you're to put on, uh, things that now that you have put these things aside, you're to pursue these things on the other end. And what verse 12 does for us is it turns the corner uh, from away from the things that we're commanded to put to death and gives us instead these positive, beautiful, life-giving, Christ-imitating things that we're to put on to replace them with. For our old, we replace our old habits and our old life with the new habits of a new life. And what you see in verse 12 uh, down through verse 17 in these verses that we're looking at are four important ingredients that we're to put on as we strip away the dead things of our old life, and as we put them on, as we take them into our hearts, uh, as we make them part of the way we think and speak and act, the end result is our transformation into a Jesus-like person, someone who is successfully, uh, if you'll let me title this message, put on Jesus. That's our goal, to put on Jesus and to take on a strong family resemblance to the one who saved us. And the first ingredient in putting on Jesus is putting on Jesus' character. And if you look at verses 12 to 14, there are these wonderful virtues that we're to put on as believers in Christ. The first one is compassionate hearts. Uh, the word compassionate here is derived from a Greek word for your guts. If you were a Greek speaker, you didn't say, I love you from the heart. You would say, I love you with all of my guts. You know, that it would be from the gut that I love you. From the deepest part of me. And so to be a compassionate person is to be someone who demonstrates mercy to the vulnerable, to the weak, to the sick and the old. 
Compassion is one of the great virtues, and frankly, it's one of the ones that is most missing from our world around us today. There is a merciless tendency, it seems to me, at work in our society all around us. The weak and the vulnerable are regarded as people to be cast aside. Now, I think we've seen some of it with the coronavirus crisis. As people have said, well, you know, it only affects the weak and the old. And we already have a tendency as a society to deify youth and vigor and to fail to honor the old and to protect those who are weak and vulnerable. But the Christian church is not to be that kind of a place and Christians are not to be those kinds of people. We are to be people of mercy, people of compassion, people who... Uh, seek justice on behalf of those who are marginalized and oppressed. And Christians are to be the people who actively provide care for the weak, the vulnerable, the old, the infirm, the marginalized, the oppressed. We are the people of God. And therefore, we are people of compassion. Because God has compassion on the weak. The second virtue of Jesus' character that's highlighted is kindness. Uh, kindness is actually it's an interesting word. There's a word picture that's here. Um, it's originally used uh, as not a term for people, but as a term for wine. Apparent, I'm not much of a wine drinker, but apparently if you age wine correctly, then over time, the harshness of what goes into the cask mellows out and it gets very smooth. And that's the idea, is that Christians are people who have mellowed out and the harshness of their interactions with people have gotten smooth and the rough edges and corners have been rounded off. And there's a gentleness to us as people. And in addition, we're to cultivate humility and meekness. Now, these are two qualities that the world also doesn't value, but God does. What humility is, and, and this is my favorite definition of it. I've probably used it a ton uh, in my time here as pastor. But what humility is, is not thinking less of yourself. You, know, you meet people like that sometimes where you can't give them a compliment because they just kick the dirt and kind of look at their shoes. Oh, no, I'm no good. Whatever. That's not humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's, putting other, it's an attitude that puts other people and their needs and their concerns and their desires first ahead of your own. That you are... A humble person is someone who thinks of other people. It's the attitude on display in Philippians 2 perfectly in the person of Jesus where you have that marvelous passage about Jesus' descent from heaven to become the incarnate Son of God. Uh, 
He, he remained the eternal Son of God, but He became incarnate, and He did so as He, in humility, lowers Himself to become one of us. And a humble person is someone who lowers themselves enough to serve and to care for other people and their needs. Now, meekness is another beautiful word picture. It's, it's usually um, used in ancient Greek uh, actually as a term for breaking horses. If you break a horse to the saddle right, you do so in a, you do so a little at a time. You gradually introduce the, the the halter and then the bridle and then the bit and then the blanket and then the saddle, and you wind up with a full spirited horse that can be gently ridden and easily controlled, no matter who is on its back. At the same time, you have this twelve hundred pound animal with tremendous power, tremendous strength, tremendous speed. But it's all gently under control to where a little kid can ride it. And that's the idea of meekness, that you have, that you are a person who is, who has all of their power, all of their giftedness, all of their, all of the things that make them them under control so that they are gentle in their interaction with everyone else. They're not they're not a they're not under pressure like a like a champagne cork that's ready to come off at any time. They're a meek person. They have power under control. And then you see next uh, the virtue of patience and its description of bearing with one another. A patient person isn't someone who can wait in line uh, at the grocery store without complaining. That's part of it, but that's not the whole thing. A patient person is someone who extends grace to other people. Maybe even including or maybe especially including people with whom he or she disagrees, who thinks that they are, when they think that they are doing it wrong, they don't have to let them know. Whatever, you know, whatever it is that they're doing wrong, they don't have to tell them. They're patient. They extend grace. They allow other people to have differing convictions than they do and to uh, enjoy the relationship with them nonetheless. They're patient. That's why it requires, by the way, bearing with one another. It's putting up with people, not as an exercise in endurance, but as an aspect of love for them. And next we see forgiving one another. Paul assumes, as we all should, that people are sinners and they're going to need, therefore, forgiveness. Amen? If you're a sinner, um, you're going to need forgiveness. You're going to need forgiveness. In fact, uh, so is every other person that you interact with. I've told this story before, but I'm reminded of it every year. 
Uh, tomorrow is my anniversary. I celebrate 24 years with my wife by God's grace. Uh, trust me when I say it is by God's grace because if I had married me, I would not still be married. <laughs> okay, my wife has been very patient. God has been very good to us. He's been very good to us. But we had our first fight leaving the parking lot of the church after the reception as a married couple. Why? Because I'm a twerp, <laughs> right? That's why. And I'm not a very, not naturally a very uh, patient person. I'm not naturally very gracious. But the Spirit of God has to work in your heart such that you forgive each other. And by the way, one of the ways that you can help yourself become a forgiving person is to focus on what the text says here, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And for me, the parable of the unforgiving servant that Jesus tells about the king who, for, who forgave his servant billions of dollars and let him walk away scot-free has been very sharpening in my soul. Because here the servant gets forgiven billions of dollars and then he turns around and chokes his fellow servant who owes him a few hundred bucks and... And the master asks him, hey man, what gives? I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, that's not actually what the Bible says. It says something like this. I forgave you all this debt. And here you turn around and choke your fellow servant. And again, it's not in the text, but essentially the master's question is, how dare you be unforgiving of your fellow servant when I have forgiven you so much more? And it becomes easier to be a forgiving person when you realize how much the Master has forgiven you. And I've been greatly forgiven. And so have you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven so greatly and so sufficiently that none of your sins will count against you at the Day of Judgment that you need not have any fear whatsoever of sin or death or hell for the rest of your life. How about that? God has greatly forgiven us. And so forgive as God has forgiven you. And finally, in verse 14, we see this. We see that love binds them all together in perfect harmony. In other words, these virtues, if you add them all up together, or what love looks like when you put tennis shoes on it in relationship with other people. Love is the ultimate expression and the culmination of everything else that we've been talking about. And as Pastor Kent Hughes says it this way, that it's the, it's the belt that holds all the rest of the clothing of Christ on your body. Love binds all these things together. And in addition to these aspects of Jesus' character, in verse 15, we're called to put on a second aspect of Jesus' life, Jesus' peace. The text says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that, that phrase carries with it the idea of letting peace be the umpire, if you will, in your heart. 
wherever there's a conflict in your life, as you relate to other people, do the things which make for peace because you're a recipient of peace with God through faith in Christ. And remember that this, these things that we're looking at are the flip side of what we're supposed to put off. The things that we're supposed to put off, remember, are things like rage, anger, malice, slander, etc. And, and to replace them instead with letting the peace of Christ rule in us because we're at peace with God and that reality should change the way we relate to one another. And one more thing that you should see in verse 15, and it's related to putting on Jesus' peace. Do you see it there? It's the second sentence in the verse, and it says, and be thankful. A thankful person is someone who realizes uh, how much he or she is blessed and how much he or she has to be thankful for. A person who focuses on how much they have to be thankful for has an easier time being a peacemaker in relationships because they have a heart that is impressed by God's grace and that is full of thankfulness for what God has done for them. And then that makes it more easy for them to pursue peace. In addition to that, verse 16, there's another aspect of Jesus' life that we're to put on, and it's His teachings. If you look at the verse with me, it says again, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now the Word of Christ is all of the things contained in the Scripture. People often forget this. You know, Sometimes people even have a a red letter edition of the Bible, that's not necessarily wrong. But guess what? If you had one that was made right, they would all be red letters. From Genesis to Revelation. Because why? Because Jesus ultimately is the, the living Word of God who gives authorship to the written Word of God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so wherever you are in your Bible, these are the words of Jesus to you. Now obviously there are differences in covenant and in time and so forth that, that separate the Old Testament from the New, but it is all the Word of Christ to you and to me. And every part of it points to Him and reveals who He is. And the same words, by the way, that are used to talk about the results of having the Word make its home in your heart in your, and in your life and to, to have expression there are the same words that are used in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 18 and following to talk about what happens when you have the filling of the Spirit. That you have uh, the Spirit of God permeating your heart and life such that every action, every thought, every decision... Every word that comes out of your mouth is shaped and molded by the Scriptures. And it's not just a matter of study. Unbelievers can study the Scripture. And they can even come sometimes to correct conclusions about what it propositionally says. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about studying the Bible because you love the God who is revealed in its pages and having the Scripture 
dwell in you in such a way that it informs every part of your life. That it's the grid and the screen through which you make your decisions. And it results in teaching and, I love this, teaching and admonishing one another. In other words, we don't just instruct one another, this is what the Bible says, we also admonish one another. We come alongside one another and say, brother, sister, I love you. You seem to be struggling here. How can I help? It's not just instruction given, it's encouragement and sometimes correction given alongside it to help us all live out the Scriptures. And on top of that, you see this? When your heart is immersed in the Word of God, it leads you to do what? To sing. To sing. To sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to your in your heart to God. You see, thankfulness shows up now. This is the second time. Because, and I've seen this over and over and over and over again. As people study their Bible, as I study my Bible, you get overwhelmed with the grace and mercy of God who loves you, and you are so impressed and amazed and in awe of that when you really understand who you are in relationship to who God is and what He has done for you. It just pours out of you. And you can't help yourself. Start singing. That's part of the reason that we, when we gather together for worship each week, we sing. Because God's mercy and grace has put a song in our mouth. And we can't do otherwise than express the joy that we have in Him. And related to that, again, is thankfulness. that We see it shows up a second time here. When we really embrace Jesus' teaching uh, in every part of the Word, from Genesis to Revelation, we're overwhelmed with gratitude and thankfulness to God, and that needs expression. And it comes out in teaching, admonishing, and singing our praises to God for everything He does and has done. And then the last uh, thing here is verse 17. That you put on Jesus in all things. It's a great verse. Uh, let, me, let me read it for you again. The Scripture says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Uh, word of encouragement, there are more things, more aspects to putting on Jesus in the rest of this book. We'll get into more of them in weeks to come. But this verse emphasizes that there's no segmentation between some part of your life and Jesus. You know, I, I don't really eat waffles anymore. Trying to cut all the carbs and stuff out of my life and all that. Um, it's helped. Lost some weight. Pants are smaller. It's good, right? But when I did, 
You know what I wanted to do with the syrup? I wanted to make sure that there was some syrup in every little box on that waffle. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you do. Okay, every little box on that waffle has got to have syrup. Okay? Here's my point. Jesus needs to fill every little box in your life. And He makes every little box in your life better by His presence there. And we are as people to do everything that we do in His name. And that means that everything we do, we do for Jesus and in honor of Jesus and like Jesus. And again, notice the last line. You see it? Third time it shows up. I think God wants us to be thankful. Three times in three verses, He's told us, be thankful. With thankfulness, be thankful. It gives us the reason to live like Jesus, like this. Because we're doing so not out of compulsion, not out of duty, but because we are deeply, truly thankful to God and, and have great gratitude for all He has done for us in Jesus Christ. And our natural response then is to honor Him with all of our lives. He died and He rose for me to give me new life and forgiveness for my sin and to bring me into His own family and therefore I will live and die for His glory and His honor for the rest of my life. Now, this whole section that we've looked at is just shot full of application. It is from the beginning of it to the end. This is how you're to live your life. And if you are a believer, you know how to do that. Because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and He enables and empowers and helps you to grow into a Jesus-like person as you do these things. But there are two things that you may need to do in response to this message. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, first of all, you may need to be you may be looking at this passage and hearing the spirit of god speaking to you and saying to you joe if you get share my name or tracy or tony or whoever you are you need to repent of this here this this aspect of what the text says your life should be like and what your life is like are not the same, you need to repent. And if, if you're hearing the Spirit of God say that to you, praise God. Because He is in His grace calling you to Himself, calling you to repent. And He offers forgiveness for free. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He is as good as His word. The Psalms tell us that He removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. So far He has He removed our sin from us. And that when we confess, He casts our sin into the depths of the sea, never to be retrieved. And so if you have felt your heart convicted here this morning, 
I don't want to leave you in that conviction. I want to encourage you to seek God's forgiveness and to receive His cleansing and to be set right before God again. And to walk in newness of life. Uh, on the other hand, it, you may be listening to this message and you may have tuned in to, to, to watch this video with us here at Chillicothe Bible Church and you may think, this all sounds very good, but I don't know Jesus. And I want to. And if that's your thought, let me just tell you this, that Jesus offers salvation freely to every single type and kind of person. Men and women and people who are confused about which they are or where they fit. He offers it to the adulterer, to the thief, to the murderer, to the homosexual, to the covetous, to the greedy, to the lustful, to the pornography addicted, to the drug addicted, to the alcoholic, to whoever you want to put on the dirty dozen list. To you and to me, he offers forgiveness. And all that you must do is put your trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. He died as your substitute to take away all that you have done, to pay the penalty for it with his life, and then was raised from the dead to offer you new life. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, who died for your sin and rose from the grave to give you new life, eternal life in heaven with him forever as a member of God's own family, then in that very moment that you put your trust in Jesus, you receive it. And He sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within you and to empower you to live His kind of life for the rest of your, your life until He comes. Because He is coming again. And one day, maybe soon, maybe not for 2,000 years, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But until that day comes, we have opportunity to put our trust in Christ and then to follow Christ. And when we stumble in following Christ, to be forgiven and to walk with Him in newness of life. So I want to pray for us, and then we'll sing some more for the joy that we have in knowing and following Jesus. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us Jesus. You have given Jesus as Savior. You have given Jesus as example. You have given Jesus in the Word that His Word might dwell in our hearts richly through faith. Uh, that you have given us the Spirit of Jesus who empowers our life and who enables us to walk with you uh, Father, you have uh, given us Jesus, our brother, and you as our father. And we will one day all be together around your throne for, et for eternity. We will spend time worshiping you and giving uh, joy to you and being filled with joy from you. And Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with joy today as we follow Jesus together. And we thank you for the way you have brought your church through this phase of the crisis that we're in. And Father, we pray that as we enter into the next phase, 
that we would look to you in it and follow you through it, uh, that you might be glorified by what we do in all things, uh, that you might receive praise. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.